to Inspirational Journeys, a faith-based podcast where your story matters. Come on over, grab a seat on the front porch, and let's talk about the writing life. Welcome to Inspirational Journeys, everyone. My name is Ann Harrison, and this week... I'm talking to a very special guest who has a fascinating story to tell. My guest is Lisa Knopp, and she talks about her book and her writing process. Welcome to the show, Lisa. Thank you, Anne. So why don't you start by introducing yourself to the listeners and the viewers? Sure. Um, I'm Lisa Knopp. Knopp, I'm sorry. Name. The K is sounded, not completely Americanized. Oh, sorry. You're fine. And... Um, the book that Anne and I are going to be talking about is my seventh book. Um, I write creative nonfiction. That's also what I teach and what I read. I'm um, really in love with that genre. Um, my first five books were all pretty much nature place-based writing. And then my sixth book was a memoir um, about eating disorders among older women, my own and a lot of research about other people. So that book was a real departure from what I've done. And then um, this current book about my friend with Carrie Dean Moore is also a departure. Um, I've been teaching for over 40 years. I've taught um, middle school and high school and college and graduate students. Right now, I'm a professor at the University of Nebraska, Omaha, where I teach creative nonfiction courses to graduate and undergraduate students. Um, so I work in Omaha, but live in Lincoln. Um, and I have two grown-up children, a son and a daughter. The daughter's in California. The son is in rural Nebraska. Um, and then I, I have two cats. So... Okay. So what inspired you to become a writer? Well, um, I, I think the answer is personality type. When I, I was, I've always been introverted. And um, as a child, I was pretty shy. And um, I, I guess I didn't mix as easily as other kids. And I, I turned a lot to books for companionship. Mm. So I read a lot and it was natural, I guess, that I, I started writing. Um, also, my parents had a set of child craft. I don't know if anybody knows what those are, but it's like a children's set of encyclopedia. I think the set they had was 1954 and the volume Famous Men and Great Deeds was my favorite. Um, in spite of the title, there were some stories about women in there. And I really love the stories of the women writers like Louisa May Alcott. Oh. And so um, Charlotte Bronte. So I would read those stories and um, dream of being a writer myself. So I was, I was fascinated by lifestyle. And then, like I said, personality. Um, just being kind of quiet and introverted and um, not always comfortable in social situations. Yeah, yeah. readers and writers. And I've, I uh -huh. know people that tell that story too. They were the quiet kids. And so they tended to read more. My family doesn't think so, but I was, that, that, that sounds like me. I was a voracious mm -hmm. reader, still am when I have time to, but I would mm -hmm. read 
all the time. I think that's what got me into writing too. So let's talk about your new book mm-hmm. um, from my friend, Carrie Dean Moore. Um, what was the inspiration behind this book? Well, I was friends with a death row inmate for 23 years, which is something I had not planned on happening, but it just did. That's how God works. Sometimes throws things your way that mm-hmm. you don't expect and you certainly don't feel capable of doing. And this was a grand example of that. Um, I found Carrie Dean more to be a remarkable human being. He was somebody who had utterly transformed from a man who killed two people to somebody who found all kinds of ways to serve God and others. And he had eight execution dates. Seven of those were stayed. And I knew him for five of those. And in 2018, um, he had an execution date in August and he said he wasn't gonna fight it. He wanted to be executed. Um, And that had come up before that he did not want to fight his execution. But I just, this time I was very worried that it would go through. And I had encouraged him many times to write a book about his life. And he said, oh, nobody would be interested in me. There's no story here. And so the last several months of his life, I said, you won't write the book. What if we write it together? And he said, no, he just wanted to die. He said, but if you write the book, I'll give you my blessings on it and I'll give you any help you need. And so there it was. Um, If there was going to be a book about him, I had to write it. And I had saved um, 320 letters that he had written me. There may have been more, but that's what I had saved. And I thought, well, I could reread those letters and even though I visited him and we talked by phone sometimes, probably the chief way I learned about him was through his letters. He um, wrote very long letters. He was, he was a good writer. He was a very considerate writer. He was always asking me questions about my life and responding to that. But I thought I can, um, he may be gone. He may be executed and not here to help me with this book but I have those letters and I can use that as my research and my inspiration. And I know I didn't throw those letters out because they were just too good. And here was a chance to pass on some of what was in the letters to other people. Wow, that's amazing. So how did you come in contact with Carrie Jane Moore? I'm curious. Well, in the early 90s, um, there was a man, um, Harold Ote, who had murdered a woman in Omaha many years earlier. And he had a couple of execution dates. One was stayed and then um, he was executed with the second one. And um, I I started going to protest, to vigils, um, because many of us wanted to end the death penalty. And we were also protesting that um, execution in particular, the state hadn't had one in almost 40 years. The last one had been Charles Starkweather. And so I just started going to the vigils and when he had executions, those were daily at the governor's mansion. And I went to other activist events and I wrote letters and got to know a bunch of people 
who were working to abolish the death penalty in Nebraska and beyond. And um, so I, I cared deeply about the issue and I learned a lot about it. And then after um, Ote was executed, which was the crowd at his execution, the people that were there because they wanted him to be executed um, was a lynch mob. It, a, a lot of racism, um, a lot of very disturbing imagery, like they were carrying nooses and some were wearing Klansman clothing. Um, so after that execution, um, some of us who had opposed it met in a church so that we could grieve and strategize. And there was a woman there, she was um, an activist and she had actually known Ote. And she said that she challenged all of us to get to know somebody on death row. So the issue wasn't an abstraction, but it was a face. And at that time, Nebraskans against the death penalty um, visited death row twice a year. And so I signed up to go on one of those visits. And the first time I went, Kerry Dean Moore was not there. He was in Omaha. He, had, he was being resentenced for complicated reasons. So he wasn't there. Um, at the penitentiary in Lincoln. But I met other people on death row and I met other activists that interested them. And when they went back six months later, I signed up again to go. And that time, Carrie Dean Moore was there. And I just liked him. There was just something about him that seemed really frank and sincere, uh, very polite. One of the first things he told me was that he had committed murder and that he was guilty of it and that God had forgiven him. Um, I appreciated that frankness, just this is what I did. He wasn't hiding anything. And that is that marked our friendship. He was, he was always very honest about himself with, with everything. And so we had a nice visit. Um, he asked me if I was a Christian, and that's that's a question that kind of makes me nervous because people mean different things by that. Mm -hmm. And I said, yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian. I go to a church, and and we talked about that, and um, we talked about prayer. And I said, I you know I pray every morning, and most people are impressed by that. But Carrie Dean Moore said, is that all? You only pray once a day? And I said, well. Um, and that, that kind of surprised me again, just his, his honesty and the depth of his own spirituality. So um, he had had um, a pastor who came to visit him once a week for fellowship and Bible study. And this man was very old and was ill and wasn't driving anymore. I guess he was taking the bus to the penitentiary. And Carrie said, I, I have to find a new pastor. Could you help me with that? And I said, sure, I'll ask around at my church and see what I find out. So we exchanged a few letters. And um, at the time, my pastors were a married couple. And they said they would go when they could. And then there was a man in the church. His name was George Isley. And he was just a super volunteer. After he retired from high school teaching, he just did everything in the world, every good cause there was. And he said, yeah, I'll go, I'll go visit Carrie every other week. So um, I had found not a weekly pastor, but I had some fellowship for him. And 
I thought, well, I guess I'm done with that. But you know what? We'd exchanged enough letters that I wasn't done with that. Um, there was no way I could stop writing to him at that point. His letters were so personal and, and so frank and so revealing of himself that um, we continued writing. I was moving out of state, which is why I did not join the visitation team at that point. I moved to Illinois and lived there for three years. And when I came back, then I started visiting him um, in person in the penitentiary. But when I was in Illinois, um, we exchanged letters and he would call me on the phone, call me. Um, of course it had to be collect. And it was, I think a 15 minute call with a lot of interruptions from um, you know, corrections, but um, that's how we met and that's how I reluctantly became the friend and a pen pal of a man on death row. And um, this turned out to be one of the remarkable friendships in my life. Wow. Do you still um, go and visit people at the penitentiary or not? I, I don't. Um, once he was executed, I, I just didn't think I could do that again. Oh, okay. Um, I did um, just reach out to one of his friends on death row and said, you know, he wanted you guys to see the book and um, I ordered a book um, for this friend and hopefully it can be shared or put in, I don't know if there's a death row library so they can all see the book. And um, I would be happy to talk with them about that. But, um, you know, Carrie Dean started a um, death row Bible study that I used to occasionally go to. And there would be maybe, oh, three, four, five, maybe sometimes six people that would go to that. And I loved it. It was such good, um, good Bible study, good companionship. But I don't know if I could do that again. This was hard, the way this ended. Yeah, it sounds like it. So tell me about... The writing, the, the writing process. Did you? I know you had you used his letters and you did a newspaper clip clippings and and yep. things like that. But when you did you outline the book before you wrote it or? Um, actually, I did, which is not the way I write books. But I did. I I made an annotated table of contents and I sent it to him. So I had the proposed chapter titles. And I had a, about a paragraph summary about each one. And I wanted him to go over those and, and weigh in on them. And, and he did, we talked through what I had planned. And, um, oh, he changed a few titles. He thought, I, I forget what I'd called one. He just said, you know, that's kind of a stupid title. And, and so I changed it. And there were some titles he loved, like one chapter I called Behind the Headlines. And he said, oh yes, that is so good. And um, so we went over these. What was uncomfortable at the time is I didn't know how the book was going to end. It was going to end with him either being, getting a stay of execution, which was possible because there were some real problems with um, how the state acquired the drugs they were going to use to kill him. Um, some very serious legal issues. Um, so he would either get a stay of execution or he would be executed. And um, so the annotated table of contents I gave him, I called the final chapter 60 because that was the age he was 
for most of 2018. And I thought, if he's not executed, I'll just write about, here's another execution. Now he's 60, this is what life is like. And he's going to go back to death row once again. Um, so that was the final chapter that he looked at. But of course, that wasn't the final chapter we were given. So after he was executed, <clears throat> I changed the final chapter to the outcome. And it was about maybe the last four or five days, about three days before his execution and then a day after and how I lived through those as I visited him, as I watched the news, um, the day he was being executed. And then the day after his execution, when a letter from him arrived in my mailbox. And, and I started writing the book at that point. Um, so yeah, he was, he was in on the process. Another thing, you know, he mentioned those murders all the time, but we had never gone into detail about them. And I said to him, you got to tell me the story. I've got to have it for the book. And so I sent him, we did this mostly through letters. I would write out questions about the murders and he would, he would write back. He would, you know, write his answers in and send them to me. And there was more that I wanted to know. Um, it would have been good if we could have just sat down and talked face to face about those. Um, but he did the best he could getting information to me when there was this looming deadline, his execution date, August 14th. And, um, and then as a writer, some things you don't know you need until later. You know, I'm always re-researching something, mm -hmm. like I'll research something, write it and say, oh, here's a gap. Here's something I forgot to look for and go back. But I couldn't do that because he was gone. But he did talk about the murders um, in more detail, especially um, I was very curious what he was doing, like those, those last weeks before he committed murder, what led to that? And he was, he was pretty frank. Because I couldn't get everything I wanted from him, I did turn to Omaha World Herald articles from the time, from that week or two, you know, where they were looking for clues. One of the murders had happened and what they knew mm -hmm. at the time and then the second. And I was not going to read any of the court transcripts. I just wanted to stay with his letters, but I also read, um, he had taken a 14 year old brother with him on the first murder. The 14 year old brother did not commit murder, but he was along and had to do many years in prison because of that. And so I read the brother's court transcripts um, and was able, I guess I was able, I did what I could piecing, piecing the, the murders together. Mm, yeah, that, wow. So one question I had, what mm -hmm. was the, what do you want readers to take away from the book? Uh, a lot of things. Um, I want people to learn about the death penalty and what it's like in prison. I think the Nebraska and the US correctional system is broken in many ways. Um, of chief concern for me in Nebraska is the overuse of um, solitary confinement, which is very brutal, the way Carrie Dean talked about it, and the overcrowding of penitentiaries. And um, 
so I, I would like I would like to see an end to the death penalty. Um, I believe that people should have fair, just sentences, and they should be able to serve those in um, humane institutions. And um, so I would like people to read this book and and do something about that. Um, write write to their state senator and tell them to get to work on this. I want people to know how profoundly God can work in somebody's life. Um, Carrie's faith was absolute. His faith in God was absolute. That is that is the only way a person can say and that I can imagine, I am not going to fight my execution. Um, and he would pray to God, like, bring me home, bring me home. I don't want to be here any longer. His faith was absolute. Um, Carrie Dean and I are both Christians, but we're, we're, we would have gone to very different types of churches. Um, I go to more mainstream mainline churches and I'm not a progressive Christian, but there's some things about that that I appreciate. Um, and he was pretty evangelical. And those are two groups of people you don't see mixing very much in this country. People stay in their separate churches. And then um, finally, I think there's a really important message here about friendship. Um, America is just so divided over all kinds of things. And I know people who cannot be friends with somebody of a different political party. And that works both ways. I'm talking about um, people in both political parties. Like, no, I just can't do that. Um, Kerry Dean Moore was a Republican and I'm a Democrat. He was an evangelical. I'm a Methodist. Um, he thinks he may have gotten maybe about a 10th grade education and I have a PhD. Um, and then we just live such different lives. He lived his life in a tiny cell and I can pretty much go anywhere I want to. Um, people like us aren't supposed to be friends with each other. And honestly, we probably wouldn't have been if he hadn't been on death row and I hadn't been a death penalty abolitionist. Um, there were things that we could not talk about. We had some religious and political differences. We just, we're not going there. We're just not going there. Uh, but there was so much that we had in common in spite of our very different lifestyles. There was so much that we shared. Um, though we were in different branches of Christianity, we both knew that God loved us and that we received grace and forgiveness and mercy and constant companionship. Um, we both agreed 100% on that. Um, but I believe the Bible argues against the death penalty in the New Testament. He was, he, he was a supporter of the death penalty. He felt there was a time and a place for it. Um, he had objections to how it was practiced in this country, but he wasn't an abolitionist and, and he also used scripture to support that. So um, yeah, abolishing the death penalty and making prisons work better, um, understanding the power of God and the Holy Spirit in the individual life, and then reaching out and creating friendships with people who 
may not think the way we do. Those are what I hope to be the big takeaway from this book. So do you have any tips for writers who are writing really, I mean, do you have any tips for writers in general? I do. Um, I'm a great believer in schedules. Um, I, I talk as, as somebody who teaches writers, people who want to be publishing writers, people who are going to teach writers. I talk to a lot of people who want to be writers. And the first thing I say is, what is your writing schedule? And if they say, I don't have one, I think, well, you're probably not going to get much writing done, are you? Um, but if somebody says, um, I write every day over my lunch hour at work, or I carve out such and such time three days a week. Okay, okay. Um, you're a serious writer. You're giving, you're dedicating time to that. Time that you're not going to be spending on something else. So I encourage people to find a writing schedule that works for them. Um, I write in the morning. I like to write, to, um, you know, once I get my coffee and um, mm -hmm. listen to the news and that. I want to do my writing then, but I've also known a lot of people who are night writers. You know, they end of the day, they put the kids to bed and they write then. Um, I've known noon hour writers. I've known people who've said, I only write on the weekends, but I take six hours on Saturday and three hours on Sunday. So find a schedule and, and commit to it because the muse is not going, if, if the muse calls and you're not home, well, don't expect them to come back. Um, but if the muse calls and you answer the door and you're ready, ready for inspiration, ready to do the work, I believe they're more likely to come back. Um, so, so schedules and um, one hour a day, you know, if you wrote one hour a day, by the end of the year, you would have written 365 hours. And that's a lot of writing. Mm -hmm. Let's say that's a page a day. You'd have 365 pages at the end of the year. But if you wait for inspiration, I don't think you're going to have many pages at the end of the year, the average person. Um, I think people should read everything. I think they should read books that are really good, essays that are really good, poems that are really good, and, and read some that aren't working. Um, because that can also reveal quite a bit to you. So promiscuous reading, just read in your genre, read in other genres, um, read for ideas about form, um, read for ideas that you could write about. I'm also a great believer in imitation. If you see a piece of writing that really provokes a strong response in you, positive or negative, pull out a paragraph and do an imitation of it. That person's form and your ideas. And, and see what happens as you imitate their words. Oh, I like that. It's a good one. Yeah. So what are you working on next? Well, um, I have two answers. Um, I have a collection of essays that I've been working on for a long time, and it keeps getting interrupted. It was interrupted by my book about eating disorders. And so I dropped the collection of essays and worked on that. And then I went back to the essays with Carrie Dean's encouragement. And then I stopped to write this new book 
And so I've gone back to this collection for the third time and it's, it's pretty much finished, but it's kind of lost some energy because of all those interruptions. And so I'm kind of messing around with that, trying to get that in shape to send off. It won't, it won't take a lot, but like I said, it's kind of lost some energy. It was something that I meant to finish several years ago. Um, one thing this book revealed to me is that I like writing about issues that, um, you know, I can tell a story that might make some changes in the way people think and in the political sphere. So I don't want to, I'm a little superstitious about my writing, so I'm not going to go into detail, but I'm really interested in some of the challenges lower income people face in this country and getting housing. And so I'm, I'm just reading about that and talking to people and wondering if there is, I think there's certainly an essay in that, but might there be a whole book? Um, and, and in the process, a subject that's always mattered a lot to me, I dealt with this in all of my um, nature place-based books was what is home? And how do you make a home or find a home? And what happens to people who don't have a home? How does being at home change the way you live? And I think in looking at how lower income people do or do not find housing and homes, I can play with that topic again too. Oh, sounds like you like to write to advocate. Um, this book about Carrie Dean Moore. Yeah, that's, that's where I am. I really, I'm really liking, that's a good word for it. I'm liking the advocacy in it. It just seems um, homelessness or inadequate housing right now is, is for some reason what's calling my attention. God's got a plan for you for that. I think so, because you know what, Anne, I wouldn't have chosen this topic. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. <laughs> Praise God for that, right? Right. <laughs> given things that we wouldn't choose for ourselves, like the book about Carrie Dean Moore, like a friend named Carrie Dean Moore. Mm -hmm. Like maybe a podcast about writing, huh? Well, yeah. Well, I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. But I'm not going to say I wouldn't have done it by myself, but I probably wouldn't have gone as far without God's help. <laughs> Sure, sure. So where can people find you online? I have a website. It's um, just lisaconop.com. And there's stuff there about all of my books. Um, if you want to buy the book, there's a button you can push if you want to buy it from Amazon. I do encourage people to go to independent bookstores, first of all. But you can buy it there on my um, website. Um, I also... Um, list events like I will have probably in a week or two I'll have a little blurb about this uh, podcast visit that I did with you so people can look for that um, you can also go directly to the publisher to get the book it's Cascade Books of Eugene Oregon so you can get it there Amazon um, independent bookseller if you're in Lincoln Nebraska I sell copies of the book for a discount out of the trunk of my car so keep that oh wow <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So do you have a social media presence? Um, yes, I'm on Facebook. Uh, you know, I have not been able to make Twitter work. 
So um, my Twitter account just doesn't look very good, but I'm pretty active on Facebook. And I do a lot of public posts. So you don't have to be my Facebook friend to see, to see them. Okay. Um, and then you can contact me through my website or at the University of Nebraska Omaha. It's just lknopp, L-K-N-O-P-P, at unomaha.edu. Okay, and the contact information will be in the show notes. So I have been inspired by listening to another podcast to ask this question. What is your call to action today? Today? Or not just for today, but what would be your call to action? Um, what, what I need to do or what would prompt? What would you, what would you, what, it can be a challenge or what, I mean, something, a call to action for the listener or the viewer. Oh, that I can say to other people. Right. Ah, okay. I love that question. Um, I would like people to have really open hearts about who they can be friends with. It may not, it may not be somebody you expect. Um, it may be somebody who believes different things or is of a different race or ethnic group or um, socioeconomic or gender identification, whatever. Just be open-hearted um, and just see where that takes you. Mm, I love that. So do you have a Bible verse you'd like to share with us today? Um, you know, I was rereading that story in the eighth chapter of Luke about um, the man with all the demons and um, Jesus exercised them. He sent them into the pigs and they ran off the cliff. And I was so touched by that man who had the demons in him that afterwards he was in his right mind and all he wanted to do was set at Jesus's feet. He did not want to leave. And Jesus says, you have to, you have to go home and tell people about this. And I've just been mulling that over like, um, there's something painful in that. I have to leave and I have to go do something in the world for you. Yes, yes. So that's not a Bible verse, but it's a story that I've just been mulling over the past couple days. Um, mm. Sometimes I know I just want to sit at the feet of Jesus and not go anywhere. That's just the most satisfying thing there is. But um, we are called to um, go out there and tell people about it. And right. To do acts that will will show. We're called to share the gospel and to serve God. To serve. Yep, 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 yep. So a story instead of a verse. That's good. That's good. I like that. What's your verse for today? Anne? Well, mine is, and, and, and well, there's three that I actually, there's a couple that I actually go to, but today, because of the topic that you talked about, there was, there was something good that came out of it. I'm going to tell, I'm going to um, stick with Romans 8, 28 for we, uh, for we all know that yeah. good, good things come to those. Let's see. All things work to good for those that love God and love those that are called according to his purpose. Yes, I'm not phrasing it exactly like we, I read it. We got the idea. Yeah. And as soon as you said it, it gave me goosebumps. Um, you know, amen. Right. Because anything, anything can be turned to good right. through God. 
through God. Bars. Yeah, God used your friendship with Carrie Dean Moore as something good. It may now the execution may not have been a good thing, but God used it to according to His will. Yes. Yes. And that's what I believe. So, would you like to close us out in prayer? Um. Y- yes. Yes. Um, thank you, Lord, for this time together with Anne and for her ministry of sharing the stories about books and the stories behind them with the listeners and her witness to you um, that she's able to share her Christian perspective on my book and life with others. Um, speak to us through the words of the Bible through words of other believers and and through the words of the stories we tell each other. We thank you for being ever present for your love and grace and mercy. Amen. Thank you so much in Jesus name. Amen. So thank you for putting the voice behind the book because the book helped me. I'm still reading through it, but the book has helped me to get to know you a bit better and to and now this now I can share your story. So We challenge you today to go out there and read to get inspired, write something inspiring, and share your creation with the world. For when you've touched one life, you've touched thousands. And do go out and get Lisa's book because it will change your heart, change your perspectives on the life and the the way other people live and what they've gone through. So. I want to thank you for joining us today, Lisa. And I also want to thank you listeners and viewers for joining us on Inspirational Journeys. And remember, your story matters. Thanks so much for joining us again and have a blessed day. Are you looking for a professional, knowledgeable, friendly, and detailed-oriented editor who provides high-quality editing services at reasonable prices? Why not give Plot Stitch Editorial Services a try? As your friendly Plot Stitch editor, I will help you turn your messy manuscript into a story that engages readers from start to finish. Services include refining story structure, character development, filling in plot holes, show versus tell, passive versus active voice, dialogue enhancements, copy editing, and proofreading. Send queries to theplotstitch at gmail.com. That's theplotstitch at gmail.com. Plotstitch Editorial Services, bringing stories that matter to life. Hey guys, this is Anne from the Inspirational Journeys podcast, and my special guest, Joe Templin, has an offer for for my listeners and viewers. Take it away, Joe. Anne, thank you. And again, thank you for bringing me on. This was a wonderful conversation. I'm glad that I could reach out and help your people grow. And to continue to help them to grow, we have an offer. If they go to the website, everyday-excellence.com, and use the code inspirational journeys at checkout from the shop, they can get a 10% discount on anything there to be able to help them with their personal journey to grow and inspire others. You heard it here, folks. You get a 10% discount on everything in the store at everyday 
www.inspirationaljourneysofexcellence.com using promo code INSPIRATIONALJOURNEYS. Happy writing, writing, and celebrate the day. everybody this is Anne from the inspirational journeys podcast and I'm here today with Teresa from struggling blessed but not alone podcast how are you today Anne I'm doing good how about you Teresa I'm good so what's up I've got some news for you really what's that did you know that our listeners can support our podcasts no can you please share more about that Okay, so while you're listening to our podcasts on your favorite podcast platform, hit the support this podcast button. With your contribution of 99 cents, 4.99 or 9.99 a month, you're helping us achieve our goals. Wait a minute, Anne. Are you telling me all that our listeners have to do is hit that support button and they could give a donation? That's right. Wow. Hey guys, thanks for wanting to do that for us. Have a blessed day. So I challenge you today to go out there and read to get inspired, write something inspiring, and share your creation with the world. For when you've touched one life, you've touched thousands. You've been listening to Inspirational Journeys, Stories That Matter, with your host, Anne Harrison. If you like what you've heard on today's episode, be sure to subscribe to the podcast, share it with your friends, and leave a rating or review on your favorite podcast platform. Visit my website at AnneWritesInspiration.com, subscribe to my YouTube channel, and follow me on Facebook and Pinterest at AnneWritesInspiration and on Twitter at AnneWrites75 for more inspirational content. Thanks for listening, and remember, your story matters.